Good morning, friends. Uh, today's message is titled, Flexing Your Faith. It's based on Luke 17, verses 5 and 6. When you read the New Testament, especially the letters of Paul, three words keep coming into play, faith, hope, and love. Often you find them kind of clustered together in the same sentence. For example, Colossians 1, 4, and 5. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Or 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. And, of course, there's that well-known love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13:13, 13, where it says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love but the greatest of these is love. Three simple little words reflecting three qualities that Paul says will matter for all eternity, faith, hope, and love. Regardless of the many areas of your life in which you wish to excel, you may want to excel the most in these qualities because these qualities seem to matter the most. So today we're going to begin a three-week little series called Three Little Words, and we're going to take a look at each little word and consider how we can take steps to grow in each area. And today we'll start with faith. I'm going to begin by saying something that might surprise you. I know many believers who pray often for God to give them more faith. Their reasoning is, if I have more faith, I can believe God for greater things and I can see miracles happen. Well, the fact is, however, that more is not the issue. You don't need more faith. You need what we might call congruent faith. In other words, you've got to learn to flex your faith. You need to learn to use effectively the faith that you already have been given. In Romans 12:3, Paul says, we've each been given a measure of faith. So you already have faith. The question is, how do you use it? In Luke 17:5, the disciples made the same request that many of us have made. It says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus responded by saying, in effect, that it's not that you need more faith, it's that you need to use more effectively the faith that you have received. In verse 6, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it will, open, it will obey you. See, it's not that you need to increase your faith, it's that you need to learn how to use your faith. You don't need to grow your faith or get more faith. You need to grow in your faith, as in learn how to take the faith you've already been given and put it into practice. Now, today we're going to take a look at a couple of statements Jesus made about faith, and we'll talk about three right choices you can make to get your faith moving in the right direction. That's because you don't need more. You just need to take the measure of faith that you've already been given and plug it into the right outlet. Well, this is choice number one. You need to choose the right side. Well, you're already exercising your faith in several areas of your life. The question is, is your faith being placed on the right side? Is it being placed in the right things? In each situation, does your faith back winning philosophy or a losing philosophy? Imagine that you're on the sidelines in the Valley of Elah, somewhere around 1000 B.C., you're watching a battle about to take place between a giant who is about nine and a half foot tall, fully armored from head to toe, and a ruddy little red-headed teenager dressed like a shepherd boy and carrying nothing but uh, his staff and a slingshot. And let's pretend that you've got to put your money on one or the other. Who will you choose? Now, of course, 
today the answer is easy because we know how the story ends. But if you were there back then on the scene as it happened, which side would you be inclined to choose? Whenever you invest in the stock market, if you do, you buy it with the idea that it will increase in value. The problem is that you're buying it from someone who's convinced of the very opposite, that this stock is about to go down in value, and both of you can't be right. Now, how do you decide if it's time to buy or time to sell? Well, unless you want to go broke, you need to make the right choice. Now, my point is not about how to choose the right stock. My point is that every day you face these kinds of David and Goliath dilemmas. Every day you face these buy-or-sell opportunities. Every day you find yourself in situations where you have to choose sides, where you have to say, I believe this is the right choice to make, and I'm willing to stake my future on it. Again, I'm not talking about buying stock. I'm talking about how you deal with the circumstances in your life. In other words, every day you're faced with a choice. Do I believe this problem is all-powerful, or do I believe that God is all-powerful? Which side will I choose? Do I believe that the sins of my past have the power to destroy my present and my future? Or do I believe that God's mercy is greater than my sin? Which side will I choose? Do I believe in the power of sickness or do I believe in God's power to heal? Do I believe that obedience today will be worth it in years to come? Or do I believe that I'll be happier if I do whatever I want whenever I want? Which side will I choose? All day, every day, you make countless choices that are based on faith, and these choices reveal what you really believe. All day long, you're choosing sides, whether you're aware of it or not. Now, we may say that we believe that God is in control, but if we make the choice to fall apart every time something doesn't go right, what do we really believe? I mean, which side did we really choose? You see, friends, it's not that any of us needs more faith. We just need to put our faith in the right place. Throughout the day, I'd encourage you to ask yourself, what do my thoughts and my feelings and my attitudes and my behavior tell me about what I really believe? Which side have I been choosing? Putting your faith into practice means you make a deliberate decision to choose one side, one worldview, one biblical worldview, I should say, one set of values over the other. It means that you say, this is what I choose to believe. I'm pointing my faith in God's direction, and I'll let my behavior follow. <clears throat> now, when things don't go your way, you can put your faith in the idea that your world is falling apart, or you can put your faith in the idea that God is still sovereign, that he has it under control. And every time you're confronted with a David and Goliath buy-or-sell decision, it's time to reaffirm that faith in God. It's time to flex your faith. Here's number choice number two. You need to choose the right words. The Bible has much to say about the way you choose the words you use, that I could preach on this for a year and probably still not cover everything the Bible has to say about it. After all, words matter, especially when it comes to faith. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 6, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. In Mark 11:23, when, te- when Jesus is teaching a similar lesson about faith, he says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Now, I love that phrase in the King James, He shall have whatsoever he saith. It's so interesting that saying is part of the equation. 
Now, Jesus didn't tell his disciples that if you merely have faith, then the mountains will automatically move and trees will automatically be uprooted and everything will automatically fall into place. Just believe there's faith in your heart. No, what he said was this. He said, if you believe it in your heart and if you speak it out loud, you will have what it says. Now, every time I preach about this topic, somebody will say, come on, does this mean you're one of those word of faith preachers? My response is absolutely not. It just means I'm one of those words of Jesus preachers. Because these are his words. He says it here as plain as he could possibly say it. You will have what you say. Now, for this reason, you need to keep in mind that you can't talk defeat and expect victory. You can't talk and talk about your insurmountable problems and expect to experience the problem-resolving power of God. What you say matters, so make it a point to speak words of faith directed at the problem you're facing. A little history lesson here. Edmund Hillary, some of you will recognize the name right off. He had a dream early in his life to become the first man to reach the summit of Mount Everest. His first effort ended in failure. He and his team did not make it to the top. He joined another expedition and tried again. And this effort also ended in failure and tragedy when one of his team members died on the mountain. Later that year, Hillary was speaking to an audience about the experience, and behind him on the platform was a huge photograph of Mount Everest. In the middle of his speech, Hillary turned toward the photograph and said, Mount Everest, you have defeated us, but I will return, and I will defeat you because you cannot get any bigger, and I can. Now, I probably don't need to tell you that on May 29, 1953, Edmund Hillary and Tinzang Norgay from Nepal became the first climbers to reach the summit of Mount Everest. But did you see what he did from behind that podium? He spoke to the mountain, and then he defeated the mountain. When King David walked onto the battlefield, actually little shepherd boy David, to face the Philistine giant Goliath, he ignored the taunts and the sneers of the enemy, and instead he spoke a bold word of faith. In 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 45, he said, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now let me ask you a few questions. How do you speak to your giant? How do you speak to your mountain? How do you speak to your problems? After you've settled the question of which side you're on, do you believe that God is God or do you believe that Goliath is God? After you've settled the question and made your choice, and it's time to speak God's word into that situation. It's time to make the words you say congruent with your faith that you proclaim. For example, fear. I will play games with you no more. Be removed and thrown into the sea. Or Mr. Past. You come at me with sword and spear and guilt and shame, but today I feed you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field because I have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And my sins have been cast into the sea, and I'm a new creature in Christ, so off with your head, Mr. Past. Her anger, sickness, worry, debt, laziness, selfishness, greed, and every entangling sin. You may have defeated me before, but this is a battle you're ultimately bound to lose, and because you cannot get any bigger, and I can, through the presence and power of God in my life. Through his son Jesus the Christ, I have been made more than a conqueror, 
and no temptation will come my way that I cannot overcome through him who strengthens me. Now, friends, obviously there's more to living out your faith than just speaking words of faith, but I want you to know that there's never less. If you want to live a life of faith, speaking in faith will forever be part of the equation. If you want to see your faith come alive to the extent that mountains are moved and trees are uprooted, then you have to make the deliberate decision to choose the right words, to choose faith words in every situation. Now here's choice three. You need to choose the right path to follow. In this passage, before Jesus taught his disciples about the power of mustard seed faith, he talked about what kind of influence we might have on others, and he talked about forgiveness. And then after he told his disciples about mustard seed faith, he told them, he talked to them about serving God, not with an attitude of entitlement, but with an attitude of humility. So as he talked about faith, he also talked holiness and obedience and forgiveness. That's because faith is not a standalone quality. You can't be a person of great faith and harbor unforgiveness. Neither can you be full of pride and selfish ambition and expect great things to happen when you exercise your faith. That's because faith must be integrated with every part of your life. For faith to be effective, it must be congruent with every area of your life. Now, here's something that will help you make an important distinction about faith. The Greek word that is translated faith, pistis, is also translated faithfulness, because the early Christian writers saw faith and faithfulness as walking hand in hand. In other words, if you really believe something, it will be reflected in the way you live. James 2.18 says, I will show you my faith by what I do. Now, what you believe inevitably finds its way into your behavior because your behavior reflects what you really believe, not just what you claim to believe. That's why James said that faith without works is a dead faith. Now, he's not saying that you are saved by good works. He's saying that what you do is the ultimate demonstration of what you really believe. Now, friends, you've already been given a measure of faith. That's what Paul says, too. And, and all it takes to see great things happen is faith the size of a tiny little mustard seed, according to Jesus. So it's not that you need more faith, but it may be that you need more faithfulness. If you want to see your faith come alive, it may be that you need to take a serious look at what you really believe, asking yourself, are my words and my thoughts and my actions consistent with what I profess to believe? Do I claim to believe one thing is true but act as if another thing is true? Well, here's a principle to remember. Mountain-moving faith happens when your thoughts, your words, and your deeds line up with what you profess to believe. That's consistent faith. That's congruent faith. That's flexing your faith. It's the kind that moves mountains. Incongruent faith, inconsistent faith is the kind of faith that gets you nowhere. Faith, hope, and love. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.